When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hit. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text him WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. And there's so much across the media and in all of the papers today to do with the cost of rent and the supply of homes to rent now has hit an all-time new low. And of course... It's all down to supply and demand. It's sending the costs shooting up, especially for new tenants. Rents rose by 12% compared to this time last year. And it's now hit an average. Now, this is a monthly average cost nationwide of €1,567. Oh, my God, if you had to pay €1,567 in rent, you could imagine what size of a mortgage you would be able to pay back with that kind of money. And, of course, it's all coming out from the latest report out from daft.ie which is showing that more than at 1,567 that's more than double the low. We had a low about 10 years ago a little over 10 years ago back in 2011 we had monthly the average nationwide rent in 2011 was 765 euro a, a month and that's gone up to 1567 it really is shocking and the cost of renting up by 2.8% when you compare it to the first 3 months of last year and these obviously are for uh, new rentals when they go onto the market i know uh, the daft.ie report i was just flicking through it this morning before it came on air i know they also looked at uh, trends for sitting uh, tenants now they're slightly low obviously but if it's for anybody who suddenly finds themselves that they need to rent for the first time are for people who have for whatever reason the house they were renting is no longer available uh, for rent um, you know bearing in mind that uh, over five and a half thousand termination notices have been issued by landlords to the residential tenancy board uh, since 2019 so a lot of people have been in houses maybe for many many years and then suddenly they, they discover that the landlord wants it back for whatever reason maybe they want to live in it themselves or they might want to sell 
salad as well. Now I know we've tried to reach out to get Ronan Lyons who's the report author from daft.ie because I heard him earlier say that things are getting worse for those in the open market and he spoke about the number of homes available on the open market has collapsed in the last year and he, he mentioned that he said COVID-19 and the switch to working from home in certain sectors has enabled people in the rental market to look further afield and obviously it's taking people out of the you know particularly places like Dublin and the commuter counties people who were able to then move maybe back down the country or wherever they originally came from and then of course they started to look to rent in those uh, areas so it's put pressure on areas where there wasn't pressure before Uh, so really frightening and scary for people who are heading out to try and rent for the first time but we have to come up with some kind of a solution we can't keep expecting people to pay that kind of money every single month just to rent a property and then a lot of people will tell you who are renting that they never have security because they never know when that letter might come in the door from the landlord saying that they want the property back. And then let me stay on housing because a couple of emails in to do with housing. Now, this both of these emails, coincidentally, are to do with renting from the council, local authority uh, houses to Patricia at c103.ie. Uh, first, listener says, please don't, if you're reading on my email, please don't mention my name. Um, but, but so we'll, for the sake of reading it out, we'll just call him Maria. Maria, by email, writes, Hi Patricia, I'm renting my two-bedroomed council house. I'm renting it since 2005. Now I want to buy it, but I have been refused. Now, it was offered to me to buy a few years ago, but at the time, things weren't great in my life. My mother had just died very suddenly, followed by my younger brother. I genuinely just wasn't in a good place and I couldn't think straight at the time. So, refused the council's offer to buy it a number of years ago. Now, I live on my own. I work full-time for the HSE and I'm paying €117 a week in rent. At uh, 54, I find that this is dead money to be paying out every single week. I rent from Cork County Council and they've told me they won't now let me buy my home. The reason being that it's a two-bedroomed property and they need and want two-bedroom properties for rent turnover. But yet I still want to buy my house and I feel I'm going nowhere. I really would like you to highlight this issue on your show. I'm heartbroken because I'm not being given the chance to buy. As I say, that's Maria, not her real name. Now, we will reach out to the council to find out what is the situation there with somebody who's been renting since 2005. So renting the property for 17 years, there was an offer on the table at one stage. But, you know, if somebody's not in the right frame of mind and I, I don't know financially at the time was Maria uh, maybe did she feel she wasn't financially set up to actually buy the property but now she is and you would feel after renting for 17 years and I can see it from the council's point of view trying to get one and two bedroomed properties huge huge issue with that and if you look at the council list you know single people for the council local authorities this isn't just Cork this is all over the country there's a massive problem for local authorities trying to house single people because there isn't enough one and two bedroom properties within the housing stock of the council. It's something that's 
has been ongoing for as long as I've been sitting in this chair doing this uh, programme for the over 30 years now we always have had a problem with not enough housing stock one and two bedroomed properties and I, I, I can never understand why that has never been dealt with over the years but it is something that needs to be dealt with so I suppose from that point of view the council feel that any time that there is a property like that that's available to them they of course have so many people on the list that would be willing to rent it but I can also see it from Maria's point of view she's 17 years renting the same property should she not be allowed to buy it your thoughts welcomed on that as well and I don't know if others have been in the same situation or can offer any advice to Maria and we'll reach out to Cork County Council just to find out what is going what is going on and if there's anything that can be done in Maria's case and then Josephine is also renting with Cork County Council and she's contacted us uh, to ask and wonder why Cork County Council are sending out rent review forms at the moment to tenants living in social housing when we're under severe pressure at the moment just simply paying our bills because of course we've got a massive cost of living crisis. We're only living in our new home since November of last year and it's unbelievable really that they can already send out a rent review form. We are listening to the government every day saying they're trying to do their best to help vulnerable people and yet we've got a local authority on the other side sending out rent review forms to them. So we'll find out as well when we're getting on to the council we'll ask them about rent review forms. I know Last year there was rent review forms going out as well and I remember we reached out to the council I just for the life of me can't remember the answer that we got at uh, the time. But I suppose rent review forms are to do with has circumstances changed isn't it in anybody's house because the rent when you rent from local authority is based on the income coming into the house. It does seem rather strange in Josephine's situation that if she only got her property last November between last November and May you know, how, you know, what could have changed, what circumstances could have changed there that would make her rent go up or maybe go down if things got bad and they lost jobs or whatever. But anyway, we'll we'll find out. And are, are lots of other people worried about rent reviews? What's happening with rent reviews? And when people fill in the forms, are they seeing their rent go up for local authority houses? Or wouldn't it be nice to say that they see their rent go down? Somebody reacting to Maria who's trying to buy her two-bedroomed county council house that she's been renting since 2005. Uh, but uh, she's been refused by the council because uh, the council wants two-bedroomed houses. They want them for rent uh, turnover. And another listener finds herself in the very same situation as Maria. She said, Patricia, I have the very same problem. I've also asked to buy my two-bedroomed house from the council. But they came back and said that the one and two-bedroomed houses are only for the elderly. I am here for eight years and they won't let me buy it. Are they saying that they'll only let the elderly buy the properties? I wonder. Anyway, uh, eight years in the same property and not allowed to buy it. And on the rent review forms, uh, my rent went up in January and I'm still after getting one of these forms. So I'm wondering, is it just a computer sending the forms out to everybody then? We'll wait until Cork County Council come back to us. And later on uh, in this hour in the programme, we're going to be talking about a call by some councillors and a kind of a campaign is going to start to try to get Erin uh, Rudd Aaron and, and I don't know ultimately know is it the National Transport Authority or is it Erin Rudd Aaron make the decision to open up more railway stations and more railway stops along the Cork Limerick 
rail line. Joe in Kilmallock says, we have got a closed railway station in Kilmallock. Railway lines are operating perfectly because there's trains whizzing by the old train station every single day in Kilmallock. It could be reopened, Joe reckons, at a fairly low cost as the existing buildings are all in place. And I imagine the same could be said about Butterfront as well because their train station, I don't know how much refurb would actually be needed on buildings to reopen them up and reopen up the train station. Anyway, Joe says living in Kilmallock, if he wants to get the train to Cork or to Dublin or to Limerick, they've got to travel to uh, Charleville, which is soul destroying when you're living in an area, you're driving past what was once the train station and have to then go on to the nearest town in order to avail of the train. And Martina in Grenna agrees 100% that we should have more train stops. She makes the point that they, they, the government and in particular with the Greens in coalition are trying to push everybody and trying to get more and more people to use public transport. We know it's better for for our carbon footprint and it's better for the environment. And so Martina says, if that's the case, then please give us the option to do so. There's so many big business parks that if a train stop could be put in in some of these business uh, parks wouldn't necessarily need a full train station, just a train stop. It certainly would get more people off the roads and would get more people on to trains. As I say, we will be discussing that uh, in more detail on the programme today. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And just to give you the heads up, stay listening to C103 because we have got another really big giveaway coming soon. We are planning on sending one lucky listener to see one legendary superstar, not once but twice. It's one of these really, really amazing uh, giveaways and we will have more details from next Monday here on C103. Now, intense lobbying has begun to open up three commuter train stations along the current Cork-Limerick railway line in order to encourage more sustainable travel and to help cut down on our carbon footprint. Heading up the campaign is Fine Gael councillor Liam Madden. Uh, good morning to you Liam. Good morning. And you, you, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose first to explain to us where would you like to see these new commuter stations opening? Yeah I suppose um, Patricia on, on that overall thing I suppose look um the stations we're talking about there would be Butterment, um, Mornaby, Rectoff, and I suppose they were all traditional stations going back. Um, Butterment itself was actually opened in 1849 and closed in 1977. You know, so, um, but I suppose over the last um, couple of years, I suppose, and I suppose now with the DNM20 project being decided there and the route options after the, the final route option and the rail option as well was was brought up and and I suppose when that was brought up a lot of concern then I suppose was look to look at the stations and and the, the stations that I just mentioned and I suppose um Butterment itself I suppose is going to be automated I think um, shortly you know for those gates there so that's going to be automated and I suppose it's it's important that it's brought up now as part of the process because you know um, there's no no point in coming back in two years time and saying look these stations we should have did something on them and I suppose 
there's a lot of funding. I mean, there's 185 million through the EU recovery and resilience fund at present. And I suppose the different things that are mentioned in that are there's service options, and that's the timetable plan to provide a better service. There's the fleet and power options, which is like whether it's going to be battery or electric trains, and I suppose infrastructure requirements. And there's eight new stations. Now, that is where we, we don't have the detail at present. So we don't know. This is the this is the NTA and their their announcement yeah. of the 185 million euro upgrade of rail yeah. services in the Cork region. So they they say in that report eight stations, but they don't yeah. give the details of no, where. Uh, ah. No, and uh, and I suppose um, you know we hear a lot about East Cork all the time, and I suppose but we we have to push um, or or case forward now because North Cork is equally as important, you know, and it would have a huge benefit. I, I see that myself already where I was involved in the express bus there, which is now stopping in New Tupper House and Rathdoff, which unfortunately didn't stop there for the last 15 years, just passed it every day. And the, the reaction of people that are using that now, and it's a service 11 times a day, every on the hour, you know, so it's brilliant, it's brilliant, brilliant service. But okay, let's the train, the train, physical train station. Bottevin's train station is still there, isn't it? It is, it is. Yeah. Would, would it need? A, I mean, closed. You say nineteen seventy. Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. For, oh, passengers. for passengers, okay, and then yeah. of course we'll all we all remember the horrendous uh, train yeah, crash sorry. in nineteen eighty. Uh, would it need a lot of work to reopen it? I, I suppose that's where the we we are we're looking now as, as councillors as well to to meet actually with the the NTA and and Irish Rail in relation to 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 look at these stations. You know what what has to be done to be brought them up to standard. Um, I mean, um, parking and someone with this. There's, there's parking there, but I mean, parking is is the thing where people could be left off at the station. They could be just given the drive to the station. They, they mightn't even have to be many parking spaces there. So it's it's um I suppose the other thing there is if if you look at them, um, it's going to be a commuter train. So it's hoping that that train as well, it, it would be fierce important that it would have connections from, with say for instance from Rathmore side. That if 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 that came into Mallow, that people would be able to link onto that as well. And and again, we we are taking cars off the road. We're yeah. reducing and anything anything that can do yeah. can, can do that has has got to be a huge huge uh, plus. So uh, and it's and we're not reinventing the wheel here. The railway lines are there. The, you know the trains pass through all of these areas yeah. that you're talking talking about. It it goes through the old Butterfield train station. What about Moorn Abbey and Rathstoff? Are the physical train stations still there? Well, they, again, Moorn Abbey is, 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 there's not a lot of work. I would, you know, that's another one that has to be surveyed. And I suppose the, the Rathstoff one then is near the school there. Um, there's actually the, the place where people use park there and it's, it's all overgrown. But again, like that, because of, of time, like, but I suppose the the important thing there is that look we're talking as well about our towns and villages and and if we want to bring life back into our towns and villages as well you know these are the facilities we need um 
And it's the main line, as you have said yourself there, you know, we're not talking, we're not going out building a new line, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, and we also have more and more people opting now to work remotely and this blended blended working that we're talking about, where somebody might be working at home three days a week but needs to go into the office two days a week. And so if we had a good, reliable train service on the days that those people working from home need to go to the office, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a train at their disposal? It would, and I suppose the thing about it is the main line. So we, we do have a service already there. You know, we have the Cork to Dublin, and, and I suppose the whole thing now is to bring Limerick City into it and mm. Limerick to Cork. And, and I suppose that that means that it wouldn't stop then in the junction, you know. Um, so it, it, it's, possible, it's not going, from what I gather now, it's not going to be a new line from Charfield to Limerick. They're, they can use it. They could actually start this service in the morning. Um, and 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 bring the stations on on board at a later stage, you know, because yeah. um, so that that's the important thing to remember. Yeah. Like we talk about the the NM twenty, which is we don't know how many years down the road, you know, there's going to be so many years in planning and so forth. So I mean, we can do these things straight away, and you know, that's what we, we're we're talking about. We hear we hear our, our parties in government talking every day about reducing your carbon footprint. You know. Yeah, and all about connectivity and making sure that one thing hooks up with the next thing. Uh, so certainly you're, you're singing off the right hymn sheet for sure. Joe in Kilmallock has suggested that the railway station in Kilmallock also closed and that building is still there. Uh, he reckons Kilmallock should reopen. Yeah, and, and that, look, I, I actually heard that, that man on there. And, and again, like that, you know, having to come into Charfield again, you know, and again, it's the main line. It, you know, to, in this day, we should be looking at every option that we can take cars off the road. And, and I suppose, you know, that was one of the things there on the NM20. Look, I suppose, I, th- I think a lot of people, you know, we thought, you know, it's just possible to upgrade maybe more of it and, and bypass the towns. And, and I think that's where, uh, I suppose, there is a bit of disappointment out there as well on that because um, a lot of it is an upgrade that's proposed and... If we if we got our tones out of the the, the likes of Portland and Charlton, we could bypass them. We'd improve travel time as well. Mm. You know? mm. Oh yeah, a win win all round. Is there a lot of support from local people? Do you feel to have train stations reopened? Yeah, um, I suppose the from business groups as well there, and the Mallow Development Group there would be very strong. And I suppose Portland Community Council there as well have. have are, are putting groups together, you know, to, to deal with the different aspects of the project of the NM20 and, and the rail. And, and I think that's hugely important because um, Portland is, is, is so, um, you know, it's it, it so well situated, um, you know, and, you know, there's 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 housing land there. There's, you know, so it's, it, and, and there's probably IDA land as well there, which is, you know, which is hugely important for industry going forward as well, you know. And if you can have the the rail, it will it will make life easier for people. You know, Timmy and Mallow says, surely you're not express, expecting the express service to stop in the locations that you've mentioned, Bosworth, Mornabi, and uh, Rathduff. No, it, it would be it would be the commuter. It's train. commuter trains. Okay, yeah, it's it's it not would, it's yeah. not the expressway. We, we still have our express. Um, we will have our, our you know the cart to Dublin. Yeah, that, that's hugely important as well. So it. it it's like what's down in East Cork, really. You know, you have a lot of them. Um, and, and I think um, there has been a lot of work done down in East Cork. And I suppose a lot of industries. Well, and I suppose the thing here as well is that we, we'd hope that in Mallow as well that we could get 
more land for, you know, IDA land and get more industries well around Mallow. And that would, you know, Mallow is a hub town now and there's been huge development and a lot of development even going on at present in Mallow. So to to them improve the, the, the whole area, actually. And tourism, is, I suppose, is the other link as well, you know. And we have, we have there's a lot of work done in tourism in, in the North Cork area. And, you know, having our stations and things like that will help as well. Okay, well, it's funny when you mention East Cork. Not everybody's happy in East Cork. A listener says, what about Yall's railway? A greenway was put in place and yet we've got students waiting for the 6.40am for a bus and they can't all fit on the bus most days and that happens Monday to uh, Friday. So not everybody in uh, East Cork is happy uh, either. Now, ultimately, Liam, who makes the decision? Is it the National Transport Authority or is it here in Rotherham? Well, at present, you you have the the NTA and 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 the the Irish Rail are working in cooperation, and I suppose there's um there's a, a draft feasibility report expected in the coming weeks. Now, um, what that will entail, I that would be that's that's why we as councillors as well, and and I suppose my motion I brought forward there in, in the Mallow area is is going to be brought forward to the Cork, um, um, or or next meeting in Cork, and and I suppose we're hoping there as well that. At some stage, we get in Irish Rail and 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 the NTA to go through this this um, process in detail because we we are lacking in detail, I suppose, at present. You know, so and I suppose we when you look at 185 million, like does it's a lot of money, and I suppose we 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 need to know as well where it's being spent. You know, mm. but the big plus, anything that will encourage people off the roads and onto a train or a bus. Has got to be has got to be uh, looked at if nothing else. Well, it, it has to be. It, it's a plus. Every day we can do something like that, and uh, we we can get. And then I suppose we the fact we have people working from home now as well as helping. And we, we can we can go even go further, as you say, like, you know. OK, somebody says, uh, well done on this suggestion. I live in Butterfield. I would love the idea of jumping on a train uh, to head into uh, Cork. OK, uh, all right, we leave it there. Listen, Liam, keep us posted on uh, this one. And it's one we will certainly w- uh, watch with interest. But thank you for joining us and talking to us on yes. the programme this morning. Thank you. Good Patricia, morning to you then. And, um, your listeners as well. Thank G- you. Good morning. That is Fine Gael Councillor uh, Liam Madden. Column says, I think the Municipal Council may be a bit late with this plan for opening of the train stations. The MN20 project team spent the last two years planning a route for the new motorway. As part of prior project priority was given as part of this project priority was given to active travel and a better rail link between Cork and Limerick the team though concluded that it was not feasible to build a new line between Charleville and Limerick or reopening Butterfront there is a plan to have more frequent services between Cork and Limerick but going via Limerick Junction but even with this they said it would make no serious impact on road traffic and Eamon Ryan was heavily involved as Transport Minister, thanking you. And that's from uh, Column WhatsApping 086 Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. As we heard yesterday, the mask mandate for passengers on board European flights and in airports is to be dropped from next Monday. Joining me to discuss this announcement is Pat Dawson, the CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Good morning to you, Pat. 
Thomas. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, do you welcome this news? Is it kind of a step forward in normalising air travel? It, it is. In fact, I was on an airplane last week and uh, wearing a mask as such out of Cork. And, uh, you know, it is a pain in the head and people, it's uncomfortable and that. And when you need to get a sort of a, a drink or something like that, something to do with it. But certainly it, it, it sort of relaxes people more when they're not ha- having to wear masks as such. And uh, once it's safe and uh, and uh, hopefully we're at the other side of COVID, um, it, it, it's good and positive. Now, it, it's important, though, to, uh, to to look into this announcement and uh, because the mask rules will vary by airline and will vary by country. Yes, it, that, that's very, very important. And uh, we just have to wait and see that our Irish government approve, which I'm sure it will. Uh, and then airlines can be different. And I mean, one thing, too, as well, while we're on that subject, Patricia, because airlines are different with the validity of passports and how long a passport is valid for it can depend. Some airlines, you know, the passport just on the on the side, uh, once it's, uh, once it's valid uh, when you're travelling home. Others need it three months and so forth. So I've seen people getting caught out on that. So buyer beware uh, on that on that other side subject. Yeah, and while the announcement yesterday is to do with uh, European flights, so obviously for long haul flights, you're still going to need to wear masks as of now. You are, yeah, you are, and, and uh, I look at the, uh, we're sort of we're we're fine within Europe, but then on on, the, on long haul in the states or wherever else, it's it, it's going to remain there a while. And remember, we we still have um, COVID over in China, as you can see uh, mm-hmm. on the radio and TV. So we just have to be very careful. And the last thing we want is another round of it. That's that's one thing we don't want. Yeah, and I know people and, and the powers that be and the health experts are already kind of worried about autumn into into winter, but I suppose we'll have to deal with that when, when it happens. But I saw at Ryanair, obviously, they're delighted to be seeing the mandatory masks uh, wearing being dropped. But they pointed out that the change will only apply to flights to and from countries that don't require mask wearing on public transport. Now, for example, I was in Spain a couple of weeks ago and on public transport, you still have to wear Masks. You, you so, do. And but does I that would, mean yeah. on a flight to Spain, I'll still have to wear a mask? But by what they're saying, yeah, and and, and it's very complicated, and uh, people would want to read up on it. But I, I would imagine, yes. Uh, I mean, if 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 they've said that, and uh, public transport, and uh, I, I like yourself, I was there as well, and for buses or whatever else, uh, you wore a mask or taxi. So from that point of view, yes, um, it, it will stand. But it's. Uh, very confusing, and I, I would, I would have a mask with me, oh, whether I have to wear or not, yeah. just in my back pocket. Yeah, you know? that was going to be my next question. Do you suggest yeah. that everybody brings masks? I always have a mask with you because you never ever because each country is individual, so you, you've got to be so careful. And that then leads me to anyone travelling anywhere this summer. You really need to check before you travel about what are the requirements and the restrictions on entering or exiting a particular country. Just because we here in Ireland, for example, have dropped the EU COVID digital certificate for entry into this country, other countries still require you to have your COVID cert. They do. And, you know, if you ask me about different countries, Patricia, I I, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly. That's why the EU Reopen uh, app is very, very good, or the DFA website, which is excellent. Also, those two uh, websites or apps, they're very, very good. And you really want to check it out. 
Now, your, your individual travel agent, if you book with them, they, they will check it out for you as such to make sure. But I, I know people who like what you're saying, that uh, they got caught out on, on, on the condition and they, they mightn't uh, have had their, uh, their, their, their COVID cert uh, uh, nearby. I mean, I had a case there a couple of months ago where uh, these three guys were uh, nice fellas were coming on an aircraft uh, in an airport in Palma and one fella had uh, everyone's COVID-19. But on, on the on the check-in, uh, one guy had to go to the bathroom. But the guys checked through, went on the aircraft. Uh, the other guy came along with his COVID cert was on the aircraft. He didn't have it in person. And he was refused to travel. You've got to be so careful. You've got to yeah, be so you careful. You have to be fair, beware. And yeah. that, that it was terrible to see him because there were, there were 19 or 20-year-old lads and I could see, I mean, I thought the airline should have, for the sake of, of it, let them on and they knew it was okay. But look, at, that's the way it was and I felt really very bad for them. Yeah, r- rules are rules. I saw, yeah. I saw an Irish couple who made it all the way to Perth in Australia and got deported yeah. the following day because they weren't vaccinated. And they, I, I, yeah, <laughs> well, like it, we've had enough now about Australia and the strict rules with our t- tennis players or whatever else. I yeah. mean... You know, you really have to. They should have known that. But I, re- I saw that as well, Patricia. Yeah, but and I, it's terrible. I, yeah, well, and and the cost of it and everything. But I kind of shook my head and said, I can't believe that you even attempted to arrive in a country that everybody knows are very strict. With, yeah, and with, were, with I think they were going out to see their grandchild, they were, which, is, they which were. is a disaster. They yeah. haven't seen him or her for two or three years, and what a what a nightmare that is. Okay, and are, are you seeing a surge in demand for people heading? heading we are, right yeah, out? we have, yeah, we, we certainly now there is reasonable, reasonable availability for the next number of weeks. But look at when the schools closed at uh, the end of June, like it's very, 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 very full. Airfares are very high in July and August because of it being full. So look at if you, if you have a date and you're thinking of going, uh, go book it because it's not going to get cheaper, it's only going to get dearer. Okay, Sharon, uh, son got COVID but never got a PCR test so he doesn't have a recovery cert. He doesn't have a booster shot and many countries insist that you must have a booster shot. As the parents, we have our primary vaccination and we have our booster so we have an up-to-date cert but our son doesn't. Um, what, what do we do about travelling? You can get, a, he, can, he can book a PCR test, can't he? Is, can that, he is that the yeah, way around? Yeah, yeah, you, yes, can, you can book. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah you now can it's an extra it's up to cost 100 you. euros. Yeah. It's costly, yeah, and, and it's the same in wherever you're on the other side as well. But to get around it and not, and not forgo his holidays, yes, that, that, that would get him around it. Yeah, but you're going to have to pay and go uh, privately. Catherine wants to know, does, does Pat know what will happen next December for travel? Will we need a booster to our fourth booster, an, an additional booster to get into a country? That's like looking into uh, um, um, into the future. We've no way of knowing. Should we we, have, we no. have no way, no. But I mean... You know, and you're you're 100 percent correct there. But hopefully, w- we will be where we are today, and we'll be will be okay. But look at uh, who knows, and you know, we will look across as I mentioned with China, and it's uh, now they're they're totally locked down. 20 million people, as you know. But look at uh, you know, we take it day by day rather than month by month. 
But in fairness, China are, are stupidly going for the zero COVID, which isn't going to work. No. So it's uh, crystal ball was the word I was trying to think. You could ask yeah. Pat to look into a uh, crystal ball. Uh, where are the popular destinations this summer, Pat? Well, the main, main I mean, look at Cork Airport has big capacity. Uh, it's not up to the normal 2019 and that that can't be helped. But the Spains and the Portugals, uh, you know, are, are the main ones. 70, 70% of us uh, go there. And it's really where where you have an, an airline going from your local airport. And I would I would use Cork Airport every second I can. I mean, you know yourself. I mean, it's amazing that from from, from the car park to, to the gate, it's, it's about 15 minutes. Like, it's just brilliant. And uh, I listen, I get the dreads when I have to go out of, of Dublin. But unfortunately, sometimes, depending on where you're flying to, yeah, uh, yeah, we have for no transatlantic choice. and stuff and yeah, long haul. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or uh, but there's still there's still uh, uh, good capacity out of Cork and good capacity out of Shannon. I, I'm very biased towards Cork. Uh, uh, smaller airports, yeah. and particularly Cork, and because we want to see it, the more the more successful it is, the more routes will come on and, and give people more choice and avoid that road to Dublin. Okay, listen, Pat, pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Pleasure. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Pat Dawson, who is the CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Listen, the Guardian McCroom have just been on to tell us that the McCroom to Cork Road between Farron and Ovens will remain closed. And this was following collisions. There's an S on that, more than one collisions earlier this morning. And you can expect delays if you need to travel in that area. Diversions are in place. Uh, also, there are delays on the diverted routes via Aherla. But the Farron to Ovens Road remaining closed because of earlier collisions. Uh, thanks to the Garda McCroom for that update. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As soon as I started speaking with Pat Dawson, CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association, questions coming in about people travelling and wanting to know, am I going to be okay? What am I going to need? Will I need it? Will I not need it? As I say, particularly for people asking for questions for later on in the year, unless one of us hit a crystal ball, none of us know what way this year is going to pan out with regard to COVID-19 so um, as I say to everybody who's travelling or planning on travelling anywhere this year this summer autumn into winter you're going to need to check and keep checking before you travel to see have restrictions been lifted have new restrictions been put in place have regulations changed changed have they taken regulations away have they put in new regulations I mean, for example one listener says hi Patricia do you have to have a fourth COVID injection and an updated COVID certificate for travel in uh, September. We are planning to head to Spain in September. If you, well, I assume at this stage you've had your your booster, you've had your primary vaccination and your booster. You should be okay for September. It depends on when you got your booster because certainly if you're travelling to Spain, you do need to have a COVID certificate or a recovery certificate and you have to download an app if you go on to If you just Google travel requirements for Spain it'll come up and there's an app that you download onto your phone and onto your phone you put in all of the information you put you submit your COVID certificate and I know it because as I say I was in Spain a couple of weeks ago and I had had to do it for all the three of us who were travelling goodness me it took me a good hour and a half because they were looking for the information on the hotel where we were staying they were looking for the flight information they were looking for our COVID uh, certificates and, and I couldn't put in the COVID certificates until 
travelled 48 hours before we uh, travelled and then I got a QR code back. Now, was I asked for that QR code? No, but I since found out that all of the information that I submitted onto the app, that got uploaded onto my boarding pass. So as soon as I boarded onto the plane, the Spanish authorities were aware that I had done everything that I needed to do. So that's the way that it's, it's done electronically. So certainly for Spain at the moment, anybody travelling, you're going to need to download that app onto your smartphone Will that change by September? It possibly will. So for that listener, you're going to just have to check in again and keep checking with them. And that's it's, that's the same for anybody travelling anywhere. Uh, John says, Patricia, I'm going to Liverpool next week. I had my booster shot on the 25th of January. Do I need to have another one before I go? Well, you're, you're, you're possibly or not. You won't be offered another booster shot at the moment because booster shots are only being given to people over the age of 65 and people who are immune comp- compromised. Every, everybody else is waiting to see will there be the second booster it looks like there will be but there's no date or time on when that second booster will be issued so even if you wanted to get another booster John you wouldn't be able to but the fact you're travelling to uh, Liverpool it was around mid-March I think uh, travelling to and from England you don't need to complete a UK passenger locator form anymore and you don't need any COVID tests or any any certificates and you don't need to quarantine they removed those restrictions I think it was around the 22nd of March they removed those so you will be fine and enjoy your trip to uh, Liverpool uh, Jam uh, also coming into us oh this came in from Morris see if we can we'll do a shout out on this and we have Morris's details in case anybody can help Morris was in Yall yesterday and he happened to meet three young Ukrainian people and he got chatting to them obviously their English was uh, quite good he said they've only been in the area for four days and one of them has a right to secure a job. He said they were talking about they can't believe how incredibly kind and generous the Irish people are. But he said one thing when he got chatting, particularly to the one person who got a job, they, they, that person is looking for a bicycle. It's a four kilometre walk from where this person lives to the workplace and uh, Morris was wondering if you could get a bike for each of those three young lads wouldn't it be great so he's wondering if anybody has a bicycle that they would be willing to donate and give over to some young Ukrainian refugees in the Yall area obviously we need to be in good condition but particularly for the one person who got a job I mean that's a bit of a trek four kilometre walk there and back uh, to work so if anybody anybody can help out there and in the meantime Morris what I would suggest that you you say to those young Ukrainians to go into you know these hubs the Ukrainian hubs that have been set up and they're offering all kinds of like clothes and toiletries and, and there's lots of information for them as well and they've been set up in a number of places and I checked the nearest one for y'all would be in Middleton there's a Ukrainian hub that perhaps if they popped in there and said to the people involved there that they're in need of bicycles they might be able to source them. They may even already have bicycles in stock uh, because I know people were donating bicycles to the Ukrainian uh, refugees. But well done uh, to those young people and great initiative that one of them only in the area four days and one already has a job and it's a job in hospitality. And of course, people the, the people in hospitality will tell you they are screaming out for workers. So they're only too thrilled that there are people coming forward looking for these uh, jobs. Uh, thank you for that, Morris. 
um, who rang John Paul at 0818103103 and actually somebody I work with, that we work with here Martina one of our work colleagues here at C103 was saying she was out in Bosworth and as we know there's a number of Ukrainian refugees in the convent in Bosworth and she was out walking her dog and she's got this gorgeous friendly bouncy uh, dog and uh, she said she could see these three girls you know looking at the dog and talking about that and they came over and they approached her and you know asked her they rubbed the dog and she was you yeah, absolutely and she got chatting to them and they were talking about you know, she, she, she could genuinely see how much they loved the dog and how much they loved being around the dog and then she said as she got chatting to them one of the girls said that they had two similar dogs that they had to leave behind and that's just heartbreaking for families and so many families of course uh, let some manage to get their pets out but others didn't and that's just adding to they were already so far away from home and these would be young people whose dads granddads maybe even older brothers they've left all them behind it really is hard so uh, I think it's great that Morris has reached out on behalf of those young people thank you for that a couple of other people um, oh this is to do with council houses when we mentioned earlier one of our listeners has been 17 years in a two bedded council house trying to buy it and the council have refused her and then with somebody else saying in the very same position as that I'm not allowed to buy it either Fidelma says I had a similar issue where I wanted to buy my council home but I wasn't allowed to I kept trying and trying and in the end I read about a man from Waterford who went down the legal route to purchase his so I said this to the council they then started engaging with me I did not end up having to go down the council route but after I mentioned that it might be a possible option for me they did engage so it might be worth that now I don't know from that comment Fidelma did you manage to buy the house or not once they engaged with you do I assume that you did so maybe that's something that people who are having problems trying to get their council houses maybe it's something that they can suggest that there is a legal route not everybody now I have to say will want to go down the legal route because going down a legal route is uh, rather expensive as well but maybe just the threat of it might at least get the council engaging with you but then here's the other side of that argument of people who've lived in a council house for so many years and wanting suddenly in a position that they want to buy it here's somebody who's against it says under no circumstances should local authority housing stock be sold. It was a terrible policy when it was first introduced, which has thankfully been corrected. Local authorities depleting their own stock just because it would make somebody feel better is, in this listener's opinion, an insane strategy, which has led to lengthy waiting lists for social housing as stock was repeatedly depleted over the years through these buyout options when it was in place. You can't complain about lengthy waiting lists for houses and then in the same breath try to publicly pressure the council into selling properties because that's contributing to the uh, problem. And yes, I suppose with the housing crisis at the moment, uh, we don't have enough housing. But if you think back to council houses, when we first started building council houses in this country, that's what always happened. People moved into a council house and initially then they got off the ground and then they bought out the houses. I mean, lots and lots of us were raised in houses that were once council houses and then our parents Bought them, bought them out. It's the way the council housing stock has always operated. But the problem has been over the years, the council hasn't been building enough houses 
to replace the ones that are bought out and to give to the ones that are on the waiting list. That has been the problem. And I don't think you can point the finger of blame at the people who've lived in a council house for many, many years and, and it is home to them. They've lived there so long and they've always dreamt that on the day that they moved into the council house, it was always their dream that one day they would buy it. So I don't think you can point the finger of blame and say the person who's been living, like Maria who contacted us, 17 years in the same house paying rent religiously every single week that she now feels after 17 years is dead money and she's in a position now that she wants to buy it out. It's not her fault that the council has a depleted housing stock they have to be and then the council will say it's probably not their fault either they haven't been given the funds by the government so I think it's unfair to say that the person who wants to buy out their house that they shouldn't be allowed uh, to do it but thank you for your text to 0862103103 Jobs With Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time part-time and professional courses succeeding together with mtu.ie Corks 96FM and C103. We're looking for a receptionist based in Broadcasting House. In Email your CV to hrmanager at 96fm.ie and you need to have your application in before Friday the 22nd of May. Ward personnel are holding a recruitment open day for construction and for production workers. It's next Monday between 4 and 7 in the Silver Springs Hotel in Cork. A ground worker with experience, please, in pipe laying is wanted for work in Cork City, 087 655 And traffic management operatives are wanted for the Ballancolic area. Safe pass and manual handling is necessary along with your own transport, 087 2841424. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The ongoing problem of some dog owners not cleaning up after their dogs is an issue that annoys so, so many of our listeners. And with summer almost upon us, people often complain to us about dog faeces on our beautiful beaches. To discuss research that was carried out at University College Dublin on the serious public health risk from dog faeces on our beaches is Professor of Microbiology at UCD. That's Professor Wim Meyer. Good morning to you, Professor Wim. Good morning. You're very welcome to the programme. Now, it's the dog poo getting washed into the sea that can cause real problems. Tell us what you actually discovered. Yeah, it's it's both dog poo washed in the sea and, of course, also dog poo that, that remains on the, on, on the beach at low tide. Um, so what we did was to, uh, to to send field work teams onto the beaches here in, in Dublin Bay and, and, and in Fingal to uh, assess the, the scale of the problem. So you have to imagine that, that we have people walking up and down the beach with a GPS counting, literally counting dog poos and uh, <laughs> noting where they are on the beach. So, so they're usually very close to, to shore. So you can imagine a dog gets onto the beach from the car and then does his business first before uh, you know, running around. Um, so that was one aspect, so, so to, to, to see how many there are. Um, 
As part of this project, we also determined, and that sounds a bit jokey, but the average weight of the dog poo. So, so, so we can actually calculate how much kilo, how many kilos there actually are. So, in Dublin Bay, we collected up to two and a half kilos on a day. And oh my goodness, two two and a half kilos on one day. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, and and in, and in Potran, we we at one stage we got up to three kilos. So, <laughs> so, so it's it, it is rather significant. See, and and then the the problem is like there there are, there are three problems. Of course, one is it is very you know awful if you step into it, uh, but there is a problem with in relation to water quality itself. Um, so water quality in the European Union is measured through the, the concentration of two types of bacteria. They're called E. coli and intestinal enterococci, and based on the number of these guys in water, the water quality varies from excellent when there are hardly any there to poor when there are many there. Now, for a blue flag, and of course in Cork there are some beaches who have a blue flag, you need to have excellent water quality. If it moves to good water quality, it still sounds okay, you lose your blue flag. Mm. Um, so so that is one aspect. That the, the dog feces has 200 times more of these bacteria in it than human feces. So it has a very significant impact. Um, and actually, if you put one dog poo on the size of a tennis court in uh, on the beach, it may actually fail the water um, so, uh, and that might lead to beach closures, or, or if it happens more than once uh, during the season, it can actually lower the quality of, of the bathing water, and you may lose a blue flag. So, so that is one aspect. And the second aspect is, as you mentioned already, public health, because dog feces has may have uh, disease-causing bacteria in it. So you have to think of things like diarrhea and stuff, but it also has things like 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 roundworms um, that cause. In, in, in serious cases, can can cause blindness or or it may damage your organs. Uh, so that's also that may be carried in, in dog feces. So so that is the public health side of things. So these three things, like it is not nice to see dog poo, it lowers the water quality and it endangers public health. Is why we are encouraging people to clean up. Well, it's interesting on the water quality because you know sadly over the years we have had some of our beaches uh, who did lose their blue flags for a period of time, and most people think, oh, that's to do with human waste being washed in to the sea. Yeah, it's it's usually complex. So that the, the, it, it could be agricultural activities, especially after heavy rainfall, and you, if you are in an area where a lot of sheep and, and cattle, you may have some runoff from from agricultural lands that that can cause a problem. It it might indeed be uh, human uh, contamination. So you can think of combined sewage overflows or misconnections, and and that of course is a problem in in, in many cases. And then it's it's dogs and and wildlife. Uh, now of all of these things, and that's it's important. Individual people can actually do something about dog pollution simply by picking up. Yeah, and, yeah. And all all of the other things are are much more complicated to deal with. Um, yeah, and you know when, when you when you spoke about how 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 really really unwell somebody can get. I remember uh, last year, the year before, I interviewed a, a mother talking about her son who ended up in hospital, and it was from it was it was now wasn't at a beach, but it was out playing uh, football, and the the football got covered in dog feces and somehow he ingested it. Uh, but that little boy ended up in hospital and it was really, really very, very unwell. Thankfully, it was OK, but it was, you know, it was a serious, serious illness at the time. And when you think of uh, the beaches, it's the children are playing in the sand, making their little sandcastles. So somebody thinking, oh, I'll just, when my dog does his business, I'll just cover it with sand. It's exactly what we shouldn't be doing. It's, it's a bad idea, and of course, they, when when people walk their dogs and and they're on a big beach, uh, you know, large beach, and and you know, they say, well, it's one little dog poo, 
and the title washed away. Well, what will happen is that the title, actually the incoming title, push it towards the coast. Um, and then the problem is that, that as as a dog who is lying on sand, even if it's washed away, some of it might find its way in, into sand and, and can persist there for, for longer periods of time. So I mentioned these roundworms uh, that in extreme cases might cause blindness in, in children. Uh, they, they can persist for quite a long time uh, in the environment. Do you think we should have beaches where dogs are simply not allowed? Well, it's it's hard to enforce. So the the, the strategy we've chosen is is to, and, and that's why we we made a little animation to 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 explain how dog feces impacts both the the quality of water and you know and blue flags and so on, but also public health. And I think that <clears throat> the survey we did in 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 Dublin, we found on on one of the strands, Sandy Mud Strand, we found something like I don't know up to two hundred dogs a day, like from morning to evening, and we estimate that something like five to ten percent of people don't pick up after their dogs, and I don't, and that might just be that people are not aware of the of the impact. And, and what we hope is that that when you make it clear to people that it affects both bathing water quality and hence you know the the blue flag status, and it's very dangerous for for public health, that that, that people will pick up. Yeah, yeah, and that's why you've got the campaign: leave only paw prints. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's a great campaign. It's a great campaign. And again, it's not the dog's fault. It is all back to responsible pet ownership. Exactly. The councils, somebody's saying, do the councils have a role? Do they need to step up patrols? Uh, most most councils are actually quite quite active in this, and uh, in, in in some cases uh, it is discussed to to close beaches to dogs. Uh, in other cases, they have designated a special area of of the beach. Um, so so I think most local authorities are, are very much aware of this and and trying to um, you know improve things. Uh, so so I don't think there is a lack of action on on their part. It is it is probably the Maybe the lack of understanding with some people in the public who who simply don't appreciate what what the impact is of a sim of a small you know contamination a small pool on a big beach. Okay. All right. Okay. So uh, and well done, particularly on your campaign. Leave only uh, paw uh, prints, um, and for everybody, please just be responsible when you're bringing your dog to the beach. And we know this weekend the weather forecast is good, and we will have lots of people uh, at the beach. And it, before I let you go, Wim, I have to ask you this because I'd never come across the name Wim before. Am I assuming you're Dutch? Yes. Yes. Uh, Wim is the Dutch equivalent of Liam, so it's, ah. uh, so Liam and Wim are both short for William. We we were discuss we were discussing this in the office earlier because I had never come across the name before until I recently discovered a gentleman by the name of Wim Hof, the Iceman. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of him? Uh, no, but oh. Wim is a very it, it's 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 just like Liam. It's a very common name in. in Okay, uh, yeah, because he he's Dutch as well, and he does incredible things in cold water. I suggest you look him up. <laughs> he's, I'll do it uh, and, and it's the program "Freeze the Fear." It's uh, he's amazing. He's an amazing man. Okay, listen, sorry that was an aside at the end. Thank you for that, Wim, and uh, it was a pleasure to speak with you on the program today. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Professor Wim Meyer, who is with the University College at Dublin, where he is the Professor of Microbiology. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 082 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. 
C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103 going to Dunmanwigar, the station where I'm joined by Sergeant Michael Golden for this week's Garda File. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And you are welcome. Now, we are starting with appeals for information on uh, crimes. Uh, the first is a theft of a horse box. Yeah, so this day last week, the 5th of May, uh, between 7.30am and 5pm, an in for Williams HB 401 green and silver horse box was taken from the yard in Ballymacone area of Clannacilty. Um, the locks to the gates uh, of the property were broken and entries gained. So Gardia, kind of guilty guard station looking for assistance or to the matter. Now, uh, obviously yeah. somebody here had transport with, yeah. a, with a hitch. Absolutely, yeah. So if you saw any anyone going around the place that you didn't know or uh, with a hitch and may, may, you may have got a reg number or description just to contact us at Clannan Kilty Garda Station. And this day last week, and it was during daylight hours? It was, 7.30am yeah. to 5pm. Okay. So some, that, that would be a busy area in Clannan Kilty. Um, it's just on the outskirts of Clannan Kilty on the abandoned side. So you'd have a lot of walkers there um, and a lot of locals living there as well. Is there anything people can do to, pr- to protect their horse boxes? So look, if you have valuable property, um, and to be fair to this inter-party, um, they did take uh, a photograph of their property and they also supplied us with a serial number and ident- identification marks. So I would I just advise anyone who has valuable property just to take as much detail of it as possible. So in case it is stolen um, and recovered, we can give it back to the owner. Yeah, because often what happens is an item could get stolen uh, here, in this case, uh, just uh, outside of Clannacilty, but that could end up anywhere Absolutely. around the country. It could, yeah, it could. And um, I suppose in relation to horse boxes, like I suppose there'd be a limited amount of people who would be looking for horse boxes as well, so it's a small community, so the information could be passed on to each other as well. And look, if you do have a horse box or any available item, just keep it hidden from view as well and well locked up if you could. Mm. Okay, now, uh, theft from cars. This is, is something that has a tendency, I think, to crop up, particularly during the summer months when people park up cars. Yeah, it's definitely a seasonal crime, uh, absolutely. And I suppose during the summer months, people are going to be parking up in beaches and beauty spots um, in isolated areas. And this incident happened there last Sunday, um, the 8th of May, uh, between 5pm and the following morning at, at 8am. Uh, three vehicles were broken into in a car park close to the Convent Hill area of Clannacilty town. Um, all three vehicles were unlocked and <coughs> property was taken from each vehicle. Um, so this is a very busy area as well. So maybe someone saw something. Uh, Sorry, did you did you say they were all unlocked? Unlocked, yeah. All, all three of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. goodness. Yeah, so look, I, I'd encourage people, I suppose, especially during the summer, you're going to be out and about, you're going to be parking up in beauty spots. Um, just ensure that your windows are closed and your doors are locked. And don't leave any valuable items on view either. And if you do have valuable items um, and you are going to park up, make sure you put them into your boot or whatever prior to parking up. Because if you do park up and put stuff into your, into your boot, um, someone may see you and then target your vehicle. We've been talking about this weekend. It's going to be the warmest weekend so far mm. this year. So lots of people are going to be going out to picnic yeah. areas, scenic areas and, and to the beach. Yeah. And I suppose you need to do the prep before you leave. Decide what you actually need to bring yeah. with you. Isn't exactly. that, that, that the best thing to do? It is, yeah. And just, just be prepared. 
um, you don't need to be worried or anything, but just be prepared for what could happen. And just, like, I mean, if you can park up in a place maybe where there's CCTV or, I suppose, um, not an isolated area, if you can, um, that would help as well. Yeah, okay. and for everybody else to keep an eye on each other's, you yeah. know, if you see somebody suspicious. Give us a ring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then interesting, you know, I mean, Stretford have your car broken into, but you think that you hadn't locked it. And we, we, we're we all guilty of every now and again forgetting yeah, to do something. Exactly, yeah. But I think with with zappers, it's so easy now to lock a car. But I know Sergeant John Kelly in Formoy is, is often mm. saying to people that when you press the zapper, make sure the car is locked. You might just press it and think you've locked yeah. it and as, you haven't. As you said, yeah, everyone is guilty of this. Like, there's nobody, you know. And But look, I suppose, just be, to be more vigilant now as the summer is coming in, it's coming on us and um, there's going to be more people out and about um, and they, they may be targeting vehicles as well for this sort, sort of crime a seasonal crime like this OK from Clonakilty we go to the Bohabui area and <coughs> this was a house that was broken into Yeah so a premises in the Kilnahula uh, Bohabui area Cork was burgled over the weekend um, so it happened between Friday the 6th of May from 6pm to the following Monday at 9.30am it was discovered and a, a quantity of power tools were taken during the break-in, valuable power tools. Um, so this is a, a busy enough road there. It's the main Mallow to Tralee Road and a lot of people live in there. So maybe somebody saw something. If they did, um, see anyone, anything suspicious, persons or vehicle, to contact military guard station uh, with any information. And I suppose, look, in regards to power tools, they're in high demand during the summer season. So again, I'd just advise people to photograph them uh, and have serial numbers recorded so that if they are recovered, we can, we can give them back to the to the owners. And then I suppose I suppose the COVID restrictions are easy now, so you to have more people out and about doing door to door co callers as well. Um, so if somebody's calling your house and they're looking to sell you property at a reduced price, um, it may be stolen. So I just encourage people not to engage with co-callers and just report any suspicious persons calling to your home to your local guard station. I suppose, look, if it's too good to be true, and it usually is. something wrong. Yeah. And the other one, Michael, with cold callers, is somebody yeah. coming to, I can do a bit of work on exactly. that, on your, on your roof, yeah. and trying to persuade you you need work done that you really don't need. Yeah, and they can, they can target the most vulnerable in the community yeah. as well. So look, what I would say is, look, look out for your neighbours. Um, and if you see something happening in someone's house and you're not happy about it, give us a ring, give the person a ring, see if they're okay, and then we can deal with it afterwards. If you have a job that needs doing on your house, then yeah. source somebody locally. Yeah. Word of mouth, I always think, for a tradesperson yeah. is, is by far the best. Exactly. Okay, we are into uh, silage season um, and road, it can lead to road traffic incidents. And already this morning, for, I don't know what's going on on the roads this morning, we're yeah. doing about a number of collisions already this morning. But uh, you want to talk to us about, in particular, about the silage season. Yeah, silage season, I suppose. Look, uh, even already you can see there's a number of um, agricultural vehicles using the road. Um, so look, what I'd say to people is, even myself this morning, I was stuck behind a, a tractor. Look, be patient. Uh, don't be tempted to any foolish or rash overtaking. Uh, what I'd say to you is just reduce your speed and always be on the lookout for farm machinery, leaving fields and farmyards. Farmers are very busy at the moment. And then look, in, in relation to farmers, landowners and contractors, just to ensure that they have adequate signage in advance of silage being cut to warn motorists. And the most important thing here is, I suppose, if they can pull in, <clears throat> and if there's a, a road traffic behind them, just to pull in and allow the bill of, of traffic to pass safely. 
And in fairness, I think most farmers yeah. and, and machine operators are good at that. If there's, you know, they'll, they'll know a gateway coming up up the road that they're able to pull in. Oh, they're quite good, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, they're well used to it as well. Yeah, but it's the people behind need to just be patient. It's all about patience. Like, yeah. how, how much time are you going to gain? Like, you know, just, just be patient, sit behind, slow down and, and look at your environment. And if, when, when it's safe to do so, when, when the tractor or agricultural vehicle pulls in, just then you safety pass. And then I suppose look, in relation to pedestrians, we're going to have more pedestrian cyclists on the road as well over the over the summer. And I suppose, look, there's always a spike in road crash, uh, road traffic collisions in relation to them as well, with the fine weather, people are out and about. So look, as drivers, we need to be able to look out for them and slow down and then always expect unexpected because you don't know what they're going to do on the road either. You know? And we have to share the roads with everyone. Yeah, and I know, yeah. I know some people get very frustrated when they come across a group of cyclists. And they t- yeah, yeah. They yeah. really do. But we have to share the road with everyone. But cyclists need to play their part as well and don't don't be bunched up on There's the road. There's both there, but they are very vulnerable, cyclists as well oh, on the road listen. and pedestrians. So yeah. look, just be mindful of that as well. Yeah, okay. It goes both ways. Yeah. Now, only yesterday we spoke with a, a farm a family from uh, North Cork about the, the devastation with the dog attack. Just one oh, dog okay. managed to maul uh, 20 of their sheep and the same dog then went on to awful damage in, in a lot of farms around the Kilbehany uh, area. I mean, it was just uh, shocking to think the amount of damage one dog can do. Yeah. You, you want to talk about, yeah, about look, that today? Basically, we had the National Community Engagement Day, uh, as you know, back in the 27th of April, and there was a lot of um, crime prevention stands set up that was in conjunction with the IFA, the Fire Brigade and ourselves, and Gareth Chicana. And the feedback I was getting from the locals here in Demanway, it was exactly this sheep worrying. Um, they're worried about their animals uh, and their livelihood. I suppose, uh, as you said, even yesterday, 30 sheep being attacked is horrendous. Um, over three thousand sheep are killed each year, approximately, by dogs. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of sheep being killed throughout the country. Um, and I suppose just if you do live near a farm, just make sure your dog can't escape, like, and, um, and find its way onto land containing sheep or lambs at the moment as well. So, because I suppose um, lambing and calving season's over now at the moment, uh, since the end of April. So they're going to be out in the fields as well, and they're very vulnerable. Um, and if you are the owner. You, you are responsible for what your dogs do and to keep them under control. So to cure your dog, have it microchipped and register with the vet and make sure it's licensed. Because um, like if, you do, if your dog does attack a farm animal or livestock, you can be held liable for um, damages and, face, and possibly face prosecution. You know, yeah, and so. as, as we discussed yesterday with that with that family, mm. you know, I mean, obviously the, the devastation for them, but uh, we were just talking about that when any dog, any, you know, most people would say, oh, my dog would never do that. Yeah. Any dog is capable. Oh, yeah. Like, dogs have a habit of chasing, you know. That's what they do. That's that's just natural to them. You know, even if they're an obedient dog and a good dog around other animals, they have a habit of chasing, especially sheep, for some reason. And, um, look, you just have to be wary of it. And I suppose there are, there are certain dogs that have to be muzzled as well and on leads at all times as well, so people need to be aware of that. But um, it's a, it is a massive problem in the farming community and that's the feedback that we're after getting as well. And they're such defenceless, defenceless animals, the sheep yeah, and the lambs. They are, yeah. And even, I suppose, even during and before lamb, or, or lambing season, like, I mean, even just being chased by a dog 
you could could lose. Yeah, they can abort. The, the, yeah, they can the, abort, the miscarry their lambs, yeah. which is absolutely horrendous. Dreadful, like, you know. dreadful. Yeah. All right, listen, Micah, thank you for that and uh, enjoy the fine weather at the weekend. You too. And, yeah, uh, and thanks, thanks for joining us. Thank uh, you. Bye-bye. That thanks, is bye-bye. Uh, Sergeant Michael Golden, who is based out of Dunmanway Garda Station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. In the last hour, I mentioned Morris had contacted uh, the programme because he was out and about in Yall and he came across a group of young people who have come from the Ukrainian refugees and he got chatting with them and he just said, you know, fantastic initiative on their behalf. One of them had already only four days in Yall and managed to secure a little part-time job, delighted with themselves. Only problem was four kilometres away from the accommodation where they're living and he's he or she I'm, I'm, I'm unsure if it was a young a young lad or, or a young girl uh, but the person the young Ukrainian refugee has to walk the four kilometres to get to the job and the four kilometres back and Morris contacted us to say when he was chatting with the three of them they were saying they'd love a bicycle because a bicycle will get them around so we're, we're putting the shout out to see if there's any anybody willing to donate a bicycle to any of these Ukrainian refugees but I thought as did Morris what great initiative on behalf of this young person four days in the area and managed to source a little part time job for themselves well that led to one of our listeners saying sorry now but I lost my job a year and a half ago since then I've been looking for work I'm qualified in hospitality qualified as a carer, qualified in pub management, no jobs. And you're telling me four days this young fella is in the country and he's got a job. Best of luck to him. But it says a lot about the Irish. Now, I read it and I reread it and I thought, am am I really, am I really reading what, what I'm hearing in this text? Because we are constantly hearing about the number of job vacancies that are available within hospitality, certainly within the hotel sector. Everything that this lady is saying that she's qualified in. Only last month, Adrian Commons, Chief Executive of the Restaurant Association of uh, Ireland, was calling for an emergency meeting with the Taoiseach and the Taunashta because the sector has been beset with staff shortages ever since COVID-19, since the lockdowns, because many staff left, many staff retrained. And you can understand that. People lost their jobs. And I'm assuming that this listener lost their jobs, lost her job because of a lockdown. A lot of people just decided to go on and retrain and moved out of hospitality completely. And we are now beset with a staff shortage, so much so that people within hospitality are worried that when tourists start to arrive in this country, that some of them may not be able to find anywhere to eat because the restaurants are desperately trying to get uh, staff. And Adrian Cummins was saying they're getting onto the government to see if they can speed up the work permits for non-EU nationals uh, because there's a lot of people outside of the EU willing to come to Ireland to work even though best of luck to them trying to find accommodation if they do come but anyway that's beside the point so I just I can't understand this listener saying that in because she's so qualified in so many different aspects and that she can't find work then I just pulled out today's job link to see could I help this lady in any way now I don't know what part of the city or county because it came in by WhatsApp but just even looking down through today's job link there's bar staff wanted in West Cork the Clonakilty Park Hotel has vacancies for a receptionist they're also looking for bar staff Longerville House in Mallow 
are looking for restaurant waiting staff. Um, and then on a carer's role, the Alzheimer's Society, they're recruiting home care uh, workers for their North Cork home care services. And show me any group that works with older people or special needs people who will tell you that they are screaming all the time looking to fill vacancies for carers. So I don't know for this listener where you've dropped your CVs into. Have you gone to any of the agencies to see if there's any any jobs available? Because certainly there are a lot of jobs out there. And please don't be having a go at a young person who has fled a war-torn country, come to this country, could sit and do nothing if that's what they chose to do, but had a bit of initiative to decide to go out and realise the area they were in, beautiful area of Yall, that there were jobs there within hospitality and went away. Obviously went, asked, maybe there was a, a sign in the window saying, they, you know, what staff wanted, I don't know, or whether they put in a CV. I'm not too sure how they actually applied for the job, but what great initiative on behalf of that young person. So I certainly am, um, am annoyed that anybody would knock a young person that would do that just because this person is claiming that they can't get jobs because certainly there are jobs out there. We have, I don't think, our certainly our own job link that we run daily. I don't think I have ever seen that as busy in all my years doing the job link. Week on week, there are vacancies there. So I just, I question where you are applying for jobs or where you're actually looking for the jobs. And remember, you have to go out, as that young person did from Ukraine, you have to go out and look for the jobs. Nobody's going to come knocking on your door to say, I have a job for you. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103. And just, just on the whole, I suppose the job for and education and the next generation of workers uh, coming up. Seeing in the papers today that the points requirement for college courses are highly likely to reach last year's record levels again, with many of the places going to be awarded on the basis of random selection. I feel so sorry for the Leaving Cert class of uh, 2022. I don't think any of them have ever faced what they are going to have to face because last year we of course saw a sharp increase in the use of this random selection and essentially it's a lottery system to award particularly the high demand college places in courses like medicine, dentistry, any of the health sciences, commerce and in engineering. And this is a stat from last year. Just over 40% of college courses which required 550 points or more uh, ended up using random selection last year. Some students who received the maximum points possible, which was 625, and we had a huge number who got 625 last year, um, just some of them ended up losing out on their first choice college place after places were awarded, as I say, done on a lottery system. And this, and of course some of those then that lost out on the place decided that they would wait and they'll apply again this year. So the class of 2022 are battling those high points for for last year. And the, in a new report that's out on Leaving Cert reform it has suggested that all senior cycle students should have the option of combining subject, subjects in the traditional Leaving Cert and the Leaving Cert applied. The theory behind it would be students then would study both academic subjects, but they'd also study vocational subjects because there's an urgent need to redress the balance between academic subjects and vocational options. And if we do that, it will then mean that both of them will be considered equally because we have a huge problem in that we're not training 
enough apprentices. And we have to look at that and, and, and I'm assuming that's one of the reasons for this re- report out on the reform of Leaving Cert. How do we encourage young people to consider trades as a career choice? There's almost a snobbery now that ev- you know, every Leaving Cert student must you know, g- attain these you know, 625 points, maximum points. They must go on to university. They must go on to third level. Um, when, you know, when there's a snobbery, that's better to do that than to go into a trade. And anybody that goes into a trade will know they will probably end up quali- they will be qualified by the time the young person comes out of university and ultimately if you're good at your trade and, and you do well and you can travel anywhere in the world uh, with it uh, in many many cases that trades person will be earning two three and four times more than the person that's come out of college with uh, a degree and I saw also in the papers today that more than 50,000 construction workers are urgently needed and this is to fill what's been called a black hole in the workforce and that it, it will be particularly important if the government is to meet the targets aimed at tackling the housing uh, crisis. Now it seems there's an unpublished report and it's identified a significant lack of electricians, plumbers, painters and bricklayers. Uh, these workers will, will be required, remember the government has promised 33,000 homes a year by twenty. Uh, 30. Then, of course, there's all the government's retrofitting targets that have to be met. And the report is by the training agency Solace. They're highlighting major gaps throughout the apprenticeship scheme that will need to be filled over the next eight years. And they've broken it down. There's a demand for over 7,000 electricians. 7,300 carpenters, just over 7,000 plumbers, 3,500 plasters, 4,500 painters and, and decorators and just under 2,000 brick layers. The report's figures also say we need roofers, we need about 4,500 installation Insulation installers, that's to do the retrofresh programme. We also need glazers, windgators are all uh, needed. And the report is going to say that just under 52,000 construction workers and tradespeople of all descriptions will be required before the end of the decade. That's if we are to meet our housing targets. And the figures include a small number of people who've already signed up to apprenticeships and who are still in training. And the report comes as our own Higher Education Minister Simon Harris has said a very narrow and sometimes elitist view of third level education has deterred school leavers from taking up apprenticeships. Exactly the point that I was making. He says this has caused significant challenges, not least of all the mental health pressures and the stress it's putting on young people. But it's also the, created this skill shortage within our, the, within the country. And uh, the Solar Support has recommended making apprenticeships programmes for certain trades, making them shorter, making them more flexible, fast track the number of people who can take up the positions. However, as of yet, a decision has not been taken by the government on how the recommendations can best be achieved. And I know employers, they're already incentivised to take on apprentices and uh, policies focused on employees are expected to be considered. But we need to do something because earlier this morning I was talking about the situation with rents spiralling out of control and that's all down to supply and demand. The government know we have a housing crisis. They've set this target but that target can only be achieved if we have the construction workers to do it and we'll only get the construction workers if we get the young people to become apprentices. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Cordillery Community Development, they're holding their weekly lotto draw this afternoon at four in the local community office. They have a jackpot of €3,400. Shambhalimore Development Association have their AGM tonight. It will open with talks uh, from Ballyhower Development Group at 7pm in the community centre, followed by the AGM. People are asked to come along to discuss the future of the community. Bingo in Mallow GAA Complex tomorrow night, Friday, 8.15pm. Jackpot €2,800. All funds raised go to the running of the juvenile and senior teams in Mallow GAA Complex and the upgrade of the pitches. And Hazelwood Tennis Club are holding a fundraising table quiz tomorrow night, half past eight, in Mick Burke's Bar in Butterland. Tables of four, please. 40 euro. Everybody welcome to attend. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. All eyes on Turin in Italy tonight for semi-final number two of this year's Eurovision Song Contest when Derry native Brooke Scullion will represent Ireland. To discuss, amongst other things, Brooke's chances of making it through to the final, I'm joined by our man in Turin and that is Dave Cargill. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Dave. Good afternoon, Patricia. Great to be back. How are you doing? uh, Well, and great to talk to you. Now, talk to me about Turin. What is the atmosphere like and have many people travelled to the Eurovision this year? You know, this is the 66th Eurovision and uh, although we had uh, a Rotterdam experience last year, it really was under very tight COVID protocol. And then, of course, the first ever Eurovision to be cancelled since it began was the year before. So you can feel an excitement here on a level, not over, not only in the, the fan community, uh, but also with the artists and the composers and lyricists. And really what's very unique, of course, is the, uh, the, the shadow that's been cast on the Eurovision with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the support that that particular entry is receiving. So there's an awful lot that's going on this year, Patricia, that's for sure. Yeah, that is that is never, we've never witnessed before at um, Eurovision. Now, we watched last Tuesday's first semi-final and I have to say it was a stunning setup. Uh, the arena looked, certainly from, from television, the, the, the arena looked spectacular. Oh, you know, I think what the Italians are very good at is actually staging concerts. They have their own San Remo. That's what the Eurovision is inspired by. The original was was uh, back in, in, in 1955 for San Remo. And they know how to stage and shoot a concert. So I think they bring that mentality to this television show. So if you're a performer who has lots of props or who has a band or is going to have some slick uh, choreographed piece, you're going to benefit from the Italian production and their channel, Rai, has really put a lot of special effects. They've even got a fountain and a a kind of river in front of the stage. They've got pyrotechnics and no shortage of incredible lighting. So it is a spectacular stage. Now, talk to me about the staging for Brooke. Have you seen her in rehearsals? Yes, you know, I've seen her. And I'm really, really very pleased for Brooke and and in general, the delegation and, and, and Ireland, because it's evolved a lot since her late, late show appearance. You can see, 
that when she's travelled round on the Eurovision tour to various cities in Tel Aviv and London and Amsterdam, I think she has far more confidence in the lyrics that she's co-wrote, but also in just her appearance and the way that she connects to an LED screen. She had no experience prior to working with LED screens and especially in Tel Aviv and also in Amsterdam, they were able to incorporate that in her performance. Well, that's what she's able to do here. She opens the song lying actually on the floor LED screen with a love heart and her four dancers and she looks vertically up to the camera. It's very effective. Uh, and then that begins the song and then she moves into a more kind of familiar choreographed piece that I think is very slick. So she's connecting very much with the cameras. There's a confidence coming over. And I think her wardrobe as well, it, you know, from this kind of slumber party feel is how I would put it from the Late Late Show. She's evolved into a more kind of sophisticated look. And I think she she connects with that and the backing singers in white and she's in blue. It's looking very good. And how has it been received in Turin? I think it's been received very well. You know, there's the song itself, you've all seen it, I'm sure. It's very fun and energetic. She's got this kind of sassy side to her, which is really good. Um, but she's got this nostalgia, 1980s kind of inspired choppy guitar plays across it. And it stands out. That's specific for the semi-final. The semi-final is everything from the kind of opera voice of Poland through to an incredible stage performance from San Marino. Achille Lauro is singing for them and he literally has a bucking bronco that he's sitting on, which is incredible. <laughs> um, so there's something for everybody. Um, and you do get this kind of from Israel, this RuPaul kind of uh, uh, style of music, but there's nothing poppy. There's nothing that's 80s uh, inspired and so she's standing out she's 10th to perform Patricia which is a very I always feel a very good point for Judy and also for the public for their televotes because they've seen nine already and then they're moving on towards 18 in total so they've got a very good gauge of all of the performances I think it it stands a very good chance of qualifying. Oh, brilliant. We've all got our fingers crossed and, and hope that she will <laughs> qualify. And of course, we know that people in the UK, which includes Northern Ireland, where Brooke is from, they're able to vote. So that surely will help a little bit. Definitely. And you know what I think is great is so many Irish and British performers have come out in support. Even the host, Mika, uh, who's very well known across the world with his hits, he actually did this kind of dance routine in his car driving to Brooke's song, <laughs> That's Rich, and posted it. So, um, yeah, the North has a, a, an incredible opportunity. And Australia are in the semi as well, and there's a lot of Irish in Australia. So I think there's some votes certainly coming from the UK and Australia. And many other countries will be impressed, I think, with her performance. So you're asking us to keep a lookout for San, Mar for, for San Marino uh, tonight. Who else should we be looking out for tonight? Who else is standing out for you? Well, I, I think the winner is in the semi, in my opinion. I think Ukraine will be in the top three uh, in the final because obviously of the love and support towards their their struggles right now and, and their invasion. But for me, the best song in the competition is Sweden. It's the second last on tonight. It's called Hold Me Closer. And it's performed by Cornelia. Um, it's a very, very, it's about a breakup. And it's a very, very uh, modern and contemporary piece. 
She doesn't wear any shoes. She sits on the edge of the stage. She's very connecting with the audience and also those at home. And it's a, a, a really a, a song I think you would play, Patricia. And I think it covers several generations of people to appreciate it. So that's my one to watch tonight. OK, but you, and but, so you're calling it that Ukraine won't win? I think Ukraine is, is definitely in the top three. Um, I think that the uh, televoting will be Ukraine's absolutely. There's so much empathy. I still feel it's just my opinion that there could be as many as 15 juries if they're voting technically, not with their hearts, but if they're voting technically on the vocals, uh, on the actual performance, they may not vote as high on Ukraine. Still, Ukraine will be, in my opinion, top three. And I think most bookies have it as winning. So I can see that as well. Um, it's it's really all about the performance and the reaction on the night. There, there really is quite a swell, as you can imagine, uh, of affection and support and empathy towards Ukraine. It is a unique year, for sure. OK, and I know the, the UK have put a lot of work and effort. Now, they don't have to qualify. They're automatically through uh, to the, the grand final on uh, Saturday. But lots of talk about the UK entry that at least they, they should do well. They won't get the nil poids that they've got, I think, for the last two years. Yes, Patricia, good point. I think they put a lot of effort in. I think that's the difference this year. The UK find themselves with an excellent performer. What an incredible voice Sam Ryder has. And he's got over 10 million TikTok followers who have watched him cover songs during COVID and have really, I think, followed him with great affection. Um, He is a fantastic performer. The biggest prop of the entire Eurovision is presented through Sam's performance and he's already drawn uh, in the second half. I think I think the UK will definitely be on the left-hand side of the grand final scoreboard and perhaps maybe even as high as the top five. Uh, it really is a terrific performance and I think he's very engaging. Lyrics are very good as well. So the UK at long last, I think, will be on the left-hand side of the scoreboard. Yeah, because they've it's, it's it has been so, they've had such disastrous uh, years. So has Brooke done her final dress rehearsal at this stage? She has one more this afternoon. Okay. Um, so there are three, um, every artist gets uh, two dress rehearsals on their own as part of their delegation. And then the Eurovision have three full dress rehearsals. Some of these are for the technical aspects uh, of it, like lighting or audio, or even just rehearsal for, especially all of the grips uh, who have to move the set dressing. And of course, the artists get their opportunity. There's one this afternoon at two o'clock Irish. And then we have the final one tonight, eight o'clock Irish time for uh, for Brooke, as I say, singing in 10th position. And one thing I do want to say before I go, I think it's really important. You know, this is 30 years ago that Ireland began this incredible run of four victories in five years with Linda Martin in 92. And I'm really hoping that some of that Irish good luck is going to rub off on Brooke 
for tonight's semi-final performance and let Ireland get through for the first time since Ryan O'Shaughnessy did it back in 2013. Yeah, Fingers crossed. And we all remember the last time we sent a little girl from Derry in 1970. <laughs> yeah. We all remember what happens. So there we you are. Know, and it's, it's so endearing, Patricia, to see Dana reach out to Brooke yeah, as well. I thought and that was sweet. Yeah, it's been sweet. tremendous. Yeah, and I can see lots and lots of our listeners saying just wanted to wish Brooke all the very best of uh, luck. Uh, I take it you have a ticket for for, for tonight. Were tickets hard to come by, Dave? Yeah, it's very hard to come by. Although this is actually 18,500-seater arena, they've had to adapt the arena because of the wardrobe and the dressing rooms for 40 delegations. Uh, only 18 or 17 or 25 will sing in each of the three live uh, live appearances, but there's so many props. The props are massive and they need to be stored close to the stage. So slightly smaller crowd, down to around 9,000. But you can only imagine what the Italians and all the Eurovision fans are going to be like when they get in there, especially after two years away. Uh, it's going to be brilliant. Listen, enjoy every moment of it, uh, Dave. And thank you for joining us on the programme today. Thanks, Patricia. Good afternoon. Texts coming in when I mentioned about the lack of apprentice apprenticeships and the points raised for college. Somebody says, hi, Patricia, they need to stop handing out dole to all young people in this country. They won't go to work as long as they're getting money for staying at home. Put them all on apprenticeships. It would solve all the problems. There are fine, young, able-bodied people. It would absolutely drive you mad. They're on buses all day and trains with free bus passes. I get so annoyed when I see it. Well, if they're, if young people are drawing the dole they don't get a free bus pass uh, with it so if they are on a train they're they're paying uh, for it uh, but I, the point, I accept the point you're making it's just to try and make get young people interested in apprenticeships and John here's John has a reason why they're not uh, John says we would have no problem getting apprentice carpenters electricians etc if they were paid properly it's all cheap labour nobody wants these jobs uh, anymore but they're getting paid while they train you go to college and you don't get paid while you're going to college it'll actually cost you John surely then when they qualify they can start to make the real money thank you for your text and somebody else says this year we will have lots of young people from Ukraine looking to go to college so it's going to put even more pressure on the points race so the smart children should be looking at going into apprenticeships and later go back to college where they can go on to study engineering etc or whatever is their chosen field thank you for your text and hi Patricia would you please announce that there is a Unite with Ukraine concert in St. Nicholas's Church in Churchtown tomorrow night, Friday at 8pm. Performing tomorrow night will be Ellie Marie O'Dwyer, Noel Welch, the wonderful Noel Welch and Eileen School of Dance. The MC for the evening, Jerry Murphy. It's a free concert, but what they will be asking for is donations on the night, which then will go forward to the Red Cross Ukrainian Appeal. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk Walk the walk, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the group where Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And Trish in Blackpool, who obviously is a dog owner, is just a little bit concerned about all of the dogs that are coming in from Ukraine. And uh, she is wondering about rabies. And should we, as uh, Irish pet owners, should we be talking about getting additional shots for our dogs in case they come in contact with, you know, some of these Ukrainian dogs that might be carrying in diseases? 
Yeah, obviously I can I can understand her concern. It's a you know, it's it's a very difficult situation and obviously the ongoing humanitarian crisis within the UK um has meant that a number of dogs have have fled with the the people refuging and seeking refuge in our country. Um and I suppose we obviously it all happened very suddenly. Uh, it's very difficult to plan for a situation like that. So normally when pets would move from country to country there's very stringent kind of restrictions in place as regards rabies vaccination and ensuring the blood tests are done to make sure that the the body's response to the rabies vaccine has been adequate. Um, but obviously, in some cases, that would have been in place. But obviously, given the urgency of the situation, some pets have travelled without that being in place. And I suppose Europe wide, um, that that has kind of been uh, the, the, more or less the norm within the EU that let's say exceptions have been made, given that this is an exceptional and very sad circumstance. Um, so there's no getting around the fact that it's, it's not ideal. But I know that, you know, there's measures in place to ensure that these pets are being brought up to date with their rabies vaccines and other treatments that are required to kind of uh, avoid the import of exotic diseases such as such as rabies. Um, I suppose there's no getting around the fact that there is an element of, of risk involved. However, in, in a difficult situation, the best is being done to try and ameliorate yeah, that risk. Yeah, and I know I was only reading this morning that yeah. obviously refugees are allowed to come in with their, their pets and they don't need the, the usual documentation. Uh, but they, were, they have all been asked to pre-notify the Department of Agriculture that they're coming into the country with a pet and then a period of quarantine is required uh, at the location where the refugee is, is staying. So the, the, it's not that the department are just opening the floodgates and you know, saying no. bring in your dogs and cats, no. they are doing no. a period of quarantine. So, so hopefully they'll all be exactly. okay. Yeah, they'll all yeah, be okay. Yeah. So, to my to my knowledge, um, at the moment is a home quarantine policy for a period of time, depending on the health status of the pet at entry, as regards what um, let's say preventative treatments they would have in place. So, it's it's very much on a case by case basis, is my understanding, yeah. um, as to how long that period of quarantine is. As regards, let's say your own dogs and your own pets. You know, I suppose, let's say blanket vaccination in this country with rabies vaccine is, you know, it's a difficult step to take, as it were. Um, Mm. It wouldn't be something I would say for for a pet if they're in contact with lots of other pets or if your particular area, let's say, has a number of pets that may be in that situation where they have entered with, let's say, not, not all of their documentation in place, given the urgency of the situation. You know, like if you were traveling or going on the continent, you'd have to have a rabies vaccine for a pet passport. So if it makes you feel safer in discussion with your vet and and a risk assessment, then that is an option for you. It's not something that at this juncture I would be rushing out to do on block. Um, but obviously it's a very dynamic situation and, and things 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 change as time passes. It's very passes. fluid. Yeah, it's very, it's very fluid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Breida, and thanks for that, Trish. Breida in Clannacilty says, my two-year-old rescue collie cross spaniel, fit and healthy, thank God. However, he has an underbite at the bottom on the bottom teeth and they look like they're growing straight upwards. Now, it doesn't seem to be bothering him, but I am now starting to see a plaque build up. He's also a very messy eater, but we absolutely adore him. My question is, is this something that we should and can get fixed or are we worrying about nothing? An underbite. Okay. Underbite. That's an interesting one. So, kind of changes in conformation um, between between dog to dog, very much like people to people. Our faces and our mouths and our jaw structure is all different, and that that can be the case between breeds, but also within breeds and dogs. And sometimes that does have an impact on the layout of their teeth. So, an underbite is a classic example. Now, sometimes slight underbites don't cause any major issues. 
but it really just depends on your dog's particular um, kind of uh, placement of the teeth within his mouth. Sometimes with underbites, we do get kind of rubbing lesions, almost where the, the bottom inciser, so the bottom front teeth, will cause problems because they will rub on the, the soft palate so the, or the hard palate of the, the upper part of the mouth behind the, the front teeth. So it can cause problems on the opposite side of the mouth, depending on your pet's conformation. What I would say is, there are other causes of kind of an underbite. So sometimes we can have dental issues with how the teeth erupt, which may lead to issues and may give kind of an underbite appearance. In some cases, there are things that can be done as regards um, either extraction of the teeth or manipulation of the front of the mouth to, to, let's say, reorganize things into a more comfortable bite. But it is very much on a case by case basis. A lot of pets will live comfortably with an underbite. It's, I suppose, it's, it's not quite normal, but there's a lot of it out there. I would say that, you know, if you have tartar buildup on the teeth at this stage, it's probably time to discuss with your vet regarding having an initial dental done because it's, you know, it's only a hop, skip and a jump from initial plaque and tartar buildup to overt gum disease and, you know, and then you're into big problems. problems. Yeah. So I would say this is an opportune time to discuss with your vet about getting a dental done. And whilst your pet is asleep for the dental, they may be able to fully assess the situation and the lower jaw and see, well, is it causing any knock on impact on the rest of the mouth? Is there anything that can be, can be done or is that just normal for him and he'll live with it fine? So I think okay. now is a good time to, to get it checked out. OK, Sheila says, could you please ask Jane when, why, when my 10 month old Jack Russell bitch has a drink of water, does she burp a couple of minutes later and then throws it back up? She's fine with food. It's only happening with water. Oh, OK. If she's drinking a lot very quickly, um, particularly with cold water, it may be that she's just literally bolting it down and her stomach is sitting there receiving all of this water going, what is going on? And then it will just decide to evict whatever water is in the stomach. If it only happens with water and only happens after she really drinks a huge amount very quickly, then it could just be that the stomach is not tolerating it. Um, if this is a usual thing for her, it may just be that she, you know, she's just doing a little bit too quickly. But if this is a change for your pet, if this is not something that they've done before, or if it starts happening with any other type of thing, like um, when they're eating food or if they're in any way otherwise unwell, then I would really say there's a strong indication you could you need to take them to a vet for an assessment because obviously stomach problems, be they from stomach ulcers to things stuck in the stomach. Dogs are, you know, very good at eating things they shouldn't. Um, there are a number of things that can cause vomiting or a reaction like that. But one of those things is bolting food or bolting water. So drinking yeah, and, very, very I mean, quickly. And, and reading it, it looks like it's fine with the food. It does look like it's been mm. happening all the time. It, yeah. Just obviously drinking too quickly. How do you get a dog to slow down? Put less in the very, bowl? Yeah, I suppose the free access to water is something that I, I, I would always recommend. I wouldn't recommend restricting water. That's not a, not a solution in this case. With bolting of food, it's, it's much easier to sort, actually, because you can use puzzle feeders. So kind of um, feeders that have lots of grooves so that your pet has to kind of sniff and nose and, and lick the little bits of food out. With water, it's a lot more challenging because obviously, you know, it's not necessarily amenable to a strategy like that. Now, you could get a puzzle feeder and put water in it. It might slow them down just because the water may fall into little pockets within the puzzle feeder. 
I think if it is a genuine and regular problem for your pet, though, I think it may be safest to visit your vet and just get them to, to rule out that there's any issue. And then I would suggest if your vet decides that there's no issue in consultation with them, they may have some suggestions, but potentially try a puzzle feeder, but fill it with water and that may slow things down. OK, and someone else is saying warm weather this weekend, a reminder to all yeah. pet owners to have water available. OK, oh, as always, thank you for that, Jane. We'll chat next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Brilliant, thank you. Good afternoon to you. That is Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. It is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group and she will be back with us next week with a reminder that from next week, from next Monday, we'll be giving you details of C103's next big giveaway. We will be sending someone to see one legendary superstar. You won't be going just once, you'll be going twice. We'll have more details of that from Monday across all of our day parts here on C103. That's why I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We're back with you tomorrow at 10. Nick Richards is next. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.